0: Coming up on this episode of Leap Takers.
1: It's hard. I, I found it really difficult initially because I just kept thinking, oh, what if I fail? Uh, and I think that's probably the reason why maybe people don't like to share things because they think, oh, what if I make a mistake? But the truth is, you know, when you share it, your journey with other people, when you tell people what you do, you actually get so much more support than you ever thought you needed.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the leap Takers podcast, where I'm interviewing up and coming European entrepreneurs, investors and shapers to retrace the journey of how they started their own company or project and to discover the insights, tips, tricks and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. My guest today is Alina Bassi. She is the founder and CEO of Gliderly. Originally from London, she founded Kleiderli in 2019 in Berlin, with the goal of solving the problem of fashion industry waste. She has developed a patent-pending technology to recycle waste clothing into a new and sustainable material, diverting clothing waste away from landfills and incinerators. Her mission is to lower the carbon footprint of fashion and eliminate tons of CO2 emissions. Alina is also a Google for Startups female founder alumna and a member of the Forbes 30 under 30 class of 2020. In this episode, we talk about how she came up with the idea for Clyderly, accelerator programs, the advantages of Berlin as a startup hotspot, the importance of being confident as a founder, and a lot more interesting things. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi Alina, welcome to the Leap Takers podcast, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. I would like to start with just a quick introduction from your side. Could you briefly introduce yourself to someone you just met and tell them what you're currently working on?
1: Okay, yeah. So my name is Alina Bassi. I'm originally a chemical engineer, now turned founder, basically tackling the problem of textile waste by turning it into a new material.
0: Great, and we will definitely go more into that. So, i'd like to start off with the origin story of your current um, startup Clyderly, so before we go there, could you tell the audience what you were doing before you started Clyderly and kind of your background and where you got to where you are at now?
1: Sure, so yeah, um I was always really passionate about sustainability probably the age of fifteen, so a really long time ago before everyone you know, before it became mainstream. And when I was choosing my degree, I decided to focus on chemical engineering, thinking I can work in, you know, sustainability, wind power, energy, uh, solar power. That didn't happen to begin with. <laughs> it was hard to get a job in that field many years ago. So I started in oil and gas and then slowly worked my way to finding jobs within sustainable energy. So working in different waste streams so weight household waste to energy coffee waste to biofuels reworking really in as an engineer in in these different sectors also looking at processes right from when they've been designed through to when they've been installed commissioned and are running as a full-blown factory
0: and you were also working i believe at the company called biobin before could you tell us a little bit about that what you were doing there
1: Yeah, that was actually really interesting. It's probably the highlight of my career because I had worked as an engineer, you know, really just designing things and seeing them being built, but not really being physically on the floor of the factory. So at BioBean, we were recycling coffee grounds at large scale. We had thousands of kilos of coffee from all of the coffee shops in the UK, and it would come to our factory, be dropped on the floor, and we would uh, turn it into biofuels. So I had the chance to be working on the factory floor, and then to install new machines and processes to make it much more efficient and and make it circular, and that was such a great opportunity because you know as an engineer you kind of if you're designing these you're just dreaming about how it will work but this was really seeing in action and doing things really straight from R and D through to. Um, actual full-blown factory level straight away, which is quite rare. I think that kind of experience to get as an engineer, but working in a startup gave me the opportunity to do so. And one thing which was really fun that we did is we ran a London bus on coffee-based biodiesel, which was a really, really fun project to work on as well.
0: Awesome. And how did you even learn about this company, BioBean, in the first place? I'm always curious, you know, there's like so many startups and companies out there and how did you learn about this company?
1: It's funny because I, I really wanted to work in the startup scene at that point. And I thought it's probably not possible in my field because, you know, my field is very traditional. Uh, being an engineer, a uh, chemical engineer in particular, it's usually really old processes. I had, But I had at that point applied to lots of jobs and luckily got actually headhunted by a recruiter for that position. And it was the perfect position for me. And I don't know how she found me, but it was a perfect fit.
0: Very nice. And from your learnings at BioBean, is that how you got then the idea for your next step? Like what you are doing now or what happened after that, after your time there?
1: It's interesting. So the idea came later, but I think the thing that I did at BioBean was very special is doing something that had never been done before. I was probably seen as a crazy person. I used to have bags of coffee in my backpack or I'd be in the factory and be covered with the coffee. And, you know, going to people and saying, oh, let's do this with coffee was very rare to do. So this experience as an engineer again, was really, really rare. But the idea for this startup actually came about in the end of 2018. So I uh, happened to be in Tanzania for a family uh, wedding because my my parents are born there. And when I was in Tanzania, I really saw where all of our donations end up. So, you know, we tend to donate to these poorer countries such as East Africa, and they really don't like these donations. I mean, they are just bombarded with absolute rubbish now. You know, 20 years ago, they were getting great quality stuff, but perhaps my parents were donating. And now, you know, many years later, we're donating fast fashion and it's not great quality. It doesn't last very long. It doesn't fit very well. And it was at that point, I think, that it started to dawn on me that we were really just kind of palming off our problem on third world countries and hoping they deal with it. Because, yes, there, there is donation to be made when people don't have enough clothes, but now it's just gotten too ridiculous. Now we send them rubbish. We just find, use it as a way to get rid of our waste rather than dealing with it.
0: Mm. I, I was not really aware of this, but I think it is a big problem. Yeah. That a lot of the clothes and textiles that we donate, they don't really, yeah, have like a great use afterwards. What was the, the next step? So you were at this, at this wedding and you had this idea or you saw this problem. So how did, did you then come up with an idea or what was the next step after yeah. that?
1: It was a lot of, I mean, to be honest, I'm one of those people who thinks of a lot of ideas. I think of solutions to everything all of the time. And it's probably part of being an engineer. The one thing you learn is problem solving. You have to solve a problem. It's the whole, you know, the whole philosophy of the degree. And so I just kept thinking of things I could do with it. What can we do? I had the weirdest ideas. And then, you know, reality of whether, okay, that doesn't work. Oh, that wouldn't make sense. And I, I kept trying to sort of apply my knowledge as an engineer. of Okay, what could we do? This? Could we do this instead or that? And in the end, lots of R&D, lots of trial and error to basically come up with the final solution. But I really tried to think of, OK, if we were ever to scale this process, what makes the most sense? Can we really take textiles at, you know, at scale? Can we really help brands and, and consumers just dump their waste on us and make it as easy for them as possible to recycle with us? So I always had those things in mind. But yeah, it was a, a long process.
0: All right. And could you explain to the audience briefly what you really do now mm-hmm. with Clyderly? Like what is the value proposition and the idea of, of the company? Yeah.
1: So we basically recycle textile waste into material. It's like a plastic alternative. So in you can use this material to produce different products. And one of the first products we're producing is clothing hangers. Really to tell this story of, you know, circular economy, fashion brands are actually able to reuse their Textile waste within their industry, and and replace the plastic used for clothing hangers. And clothing hangers are seen as the plastic straw of the fashion industry. It's one of those things that you don't think about at all, but you need so many of them. And they're usually made out of polystyrene, which is a really horrible plastic. It produces styrene gas if you try and burn it, and it's very toxic. Or it leaches chemicals into the into groundwater and the water streams locally if it's ending up in um, landfill sites or whatever. So. This is sort of our first use case for the material, but the material itself is very versatile. So you can use it exactly how you would use a normal plastic in the standard machinery. So you could produce anything, anything where you think, you know, a hard plastic is used. Something like a, a chair, for example, or um, a plant pot or a table tabletop. Um, it's just to give you a few examples or, or packaging or boxes, these kinds of things. But for now, we're focusing on this one use case, which is clothing hangers.
0: Yeah, that's, it's very fascinating that there is probably so many use cases in the fashion industry and in others where you can just reuse and uh, recycle materials. So that's that's very exciting that you do that. And now if you go back to, you had the idea, you decided to start this company. How did you approach this? Like, did you just from one day to the next say, (laughs) okay, I I set up the company or, you know, what was your process of of getting started with Cliderly?
1: Oh, it was, it was a tough one, actually. I, I was really in, I think it's difficult as as an engineer in particular, you know, there's a lot of job opportunities, which is a great thing. But it also means that it's very hard for you to just say, no, I'm going to leave and I'm going to do my own thing. And I was in this position where I, was, I knew I really wanted to start my own company, but I didn't know when was the right time. And the first thing I learned was there is no right time. But if I'm going to do it now, it makes most sense in, at my, li- in my life at this point t- in time because I've got seven years experience working in, in different, many different companies and I have that experience and background to be able to push me um, and give me that extra edge. But it's very difficult to you know, go from earning a monthly salary to then you know really being completely bootstrapped as a founder. So the first thing I did to kind of give me validation was I started to apply to local accelerator programs to see if they take me on and they give me that support in terms of you know, local networks then I think this makes sense to do. So I found a local accelerator program called High Tech Seed Lab, and they take on startups exactly in my position. They were taking people that had the idea, but didn't have the, you know, the kind of next steps planned. And they also gave you financial support for six months, which was very important to me because that that bridging that gap uh, from full-time employment to completely starting a a business as a founder is difficult. So that was my first starting point, and and because they said yes very quickly, and I joined the program, that gave me I I knew to okay I've got six months now, where I'm still getting a bit of a salary, and I can prove to myself that this is worth pursuing, and if it doesn't work in the next six months, it's fine. I can find a job. I'm not going to lose anything. So that's how I started, and the accelerator program itself gave me access to a lot of local networks. So you know, lawyers, notaries, patent lawyers, you know, just the Berlin local startup scene um, and all the people I should know should be talking to or pitching to or practicing or even local events. And because I'm not from Berlin, these are the things I didn't really know at the time. So it was very useful for me to have that access. And by the end of the first six months, I realized I, there was no turning back. I absolutely love what I'm doing, and I didn't regret it at all. But it was it was really tough to kind of take that first leap. Okay, should I even start? When can I start? And you just have to do it.
0: Yeah, I definitely see the struggle, and a lot of people are probably struggling with this decision: if they should go in full time, or should they do it just on the side? Or yeah, to really take the leap and don't have a monthly salary anymore. It's, it's very tough. So. Yeah, but
1: that's the thing is that I don't know if you can do it part-time, to be honest. I, I know that I would not be this far along if I was doing this a few hours a day. I have so mm. much to do. There's not enough hours in the day. And at the, the beginning, you're your bottleneck. So the quicker you are, the quicker your startup is. So I think, I mean, if finances are the reason, then of course do it on the side. But for something that was this technical, this very technical uh, business, I need, it needed my full-time attention. But the salary or financial aspect was taken out of it by doing the Accelerator.
0: So I think this Accelerator topic is very interesting since maybe some people didn't even consider it. So I'm very glad to hear that you had such a good experience. And could you share anything about your specific case? Like, was there an application process or are there any accelerators you would recommend to people to participate in? Maybe that you also heard of from your network.
1: Yeah, so um, this was a really great chance for me to just really get into it. And the the application process was fairly simple at that time. I know it's not that easy now because the program is a lot more advanced. But at the time you had to send an email. They were looking for these high tech Very rare startups, usually within certain fields and sustainability was one of them. And so you had to send a fill in an application form, send an email and then do a pitch in front of them. And at that pitch, you know, I had this idea and they were going to base it all on this random idea that I had. (laughs) And I think... It's hard to convince people when you don't know enough about your idea. So I did a lot of research and a lot of preparation and, you know, analyzing the market and the competition way before just so that I went really well prepared. The state, I don't know so much about accelerators in other parts of the world, but I know that in Berlin in particular, there's a lot of, a lot of accelerators and, and maybe, maybe they're probably in other cities as well where the money comes from the European social fund. And it goes to these different programs and they choose the startups they give money to for different fields. So one example is Berlin Founders Fund. They give you support for 12 months and it's a really great program where you get a monthly salary for both or for all of the founders. And you also get the same support, the same network access to all that, all of their events and other, you know, important VCs and investors that you need to know. I'm sure there must be some similar stuff like this in other parts of the world, in other cities, but I only know the ones in Berlin. Mm,
0: no, that's very helpful. I'm sure.
1: I know there's also, there's one in Silicon Valley. You
0: know? So Silicon yeah, well, there is also Entrepreneur First in, in London and exactly. antler yeah. et cetera. So they are some of the very well-known, very early stage accelerators or, or incubators.
1: I think the difference with the Entrepreneur First is usually that you go there if you, you might have an idea, but you don't have to have an idea. Yeah. Whereas the ones that I am talking about you, you've already thought of your idea, you know, this is what you want to work on. And of course you will pivot, but yeah, it's a bit of a different model. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also in the other two in Entrepreneur First and Antler, you have to probably find your team at this accelerator. So you go there really just with, with, nothing (laughs) so but it's very cool that there's there's both these types of accelerators and did you also have to have a pitch deck to to go there and pitch
1: yeah yeah you had to have a pitch deck where you're really showing that you do you've done your homework you know you know the problem you're solving you know that your solution at least as much as you can you know what the market is like you know the competition you understand your business model or your value proposition and what makes you unique and obviously talk about your experiences and um, of course all of these things will change and they change multiple times but it's about I think they just want to see that you've thought it through Mm -hmm. and you know this is just not something you had an idea on the whim but you really thought about how this company was going to be run and you come prepared.
0: Yeah that makes sense and now to go back again to Gliderly I would Mm -hmm. be very curious to hear a bit more about where you are at today with the company and you know, do you already have customers or are you working on the on the technology? And how many people do you have on board at the moment, etc.?
1: Yeah, so since then, since the accelerator, I think we've been working really fast, actually, which is great. We have gotten to a point now where we're talking to very many interesting potential customers. We have lots of LOIs, letters of intent, and we're talking to lots of really large fashion brands. So really recently, I joined actually on Monday last week this retail accelerator program based in Paris, but we're doing it virtually called Lafayette Plug and Play, which is a really great place for us to accelerate accelerator for us to be part of because we have access directly to all of our customers. So all of the corporate partners on there are really amazing, large fashion brands like Kering uh, who own some really high end brands like YSL decathlon is on there is on there, and this is a great chance for us to meet our customers directly. So we are, we're in these talks with these customers. Some of them have been introduced to us through this program and some others, we were either got PR attention and so they reached out to us and a few we have reached out to. So we're hoping to go to market very, very soon, ideally within this month. We're also raising a seed round at the moment. So I'm speaking to lots of angel investors and VCs at, at this point in time. We're a team of seven now, which is quite big, actually.
0: And are they all based in Berlin or do you work fully remotely at the moment?
1: So we we actually, in Corona time, then had to work fully remote, of course, because um, of the way things were. But now that for now, the pandemic seems to be a bit under control in Berlin, we have actually started to join a new office. So we now have our own room, which is really important because before we used to be part of a co-working space, which is a great co-working space. I really like it. It's very well known in Berlin. It's called Factory Berlin. But the problem is like, when you're such a large team, it's very difficult for you to have, you know, one space for yourself within such a large co-working space. And we don't want to disturb people. So now we have our own space, which is really nice and a, a huge step for us, actually.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's very good to hear. I would like to now go from the origin story of Clyde Lee more towards your experiences and learning from that time so could you share a bit your learnings from the time you have so far at Colliderly? I know you're still rather early stage, but still, I think there's a lot of lessons you learn, uh, in the, especially in the beginning of a, of a startup. So are there any key learnings that come to mind from being an entrepreneur and things you would uh, recommend people that now want to start a company?
1: Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> Every day is a new learning uh, or the learning curve is very steep. I always thought that my career was a very steep learning curve until I started my own company. I think as a founder, you have to do everything yourself to begin with. You really do everything, especially if you're bootstrapped like I have been and I decided not to get funding to begin with. You learn everything from all the legal matters that you have to get involved with, like how to set up a company in Germany, which is is, is in itself very complicated. There's <laughs> lots of different forms. You need to go to a notary. Then even things like how to file a patent, for example, or how to employ people and, and how that should be done legally. So the legal side in itself is very interesting. You also learn so much more about, you know, marketing, social media, PR, how to sell. Every day is a learning. Uh, you, learn, uh, you learn so much. My biggest learning so far have been probably how important it is to be resilient. My dad loves saying that word too. And he always reminds me I need to be resilient because so there's always so many ups and downs. Every day you have a really high, high and a very low, low. Or most days you can have that. So you need to just keep going and stay focused and not let certain things get you down. And you will have to pitch your business to people who might not necessarily believe in it. And, you know, not everyone will love your idea. You just need to get used to that fact and you need to believe in it for yourself and you need to keep going and not let anything kind of get you down. You really just need to step back up and keep going. So mm. That was probably my biggest learning. And in order to help me with that, I think actually I didn't realize, to be honest, before I had my own company, how important it is to network. And I don't mean network in the sense of, oh, what can I get out of people? But more, you know, really genuine networking, making friends within the startup scene, getting to know other founders, getting to know investors, Not, not because necessarily you want something from them, but actually you can really help each other along the journey. One of the things I found quite difficult at the beginning was speaking to people about what I was doing and sharing my journey. And I probably had imposter syndrome because I didn't want to talk about it for a really long time <laughs> because I just thought that I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing. And actually having made friends with lots of different founders along my journey has helped me so much because I realized that you can all learn from each other and, you know, you can share your journey with them and they can, they can help you and support you. So how, the importance of a network is something I didn't understand enough until i started this
0: journey yeah that's very valuable advice and also it reminds me of something that a previous guest on this podcast said Anna Lore, she was actually i think two episodes ago uh, i interviewed her mm-hmm. and she said working with the garage door open uh, which means like you should kind of involve other people and show your progress constantly and what you're doing and yeah. building in public and Yeah, this reminded me of what you just said, that you should speak about what you're doing and don't be shy about talking about it. So I think it's a good advice.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I I found it really difficult initially because I think I just kept thinking, oh, what if I fail? Uh, And I think that's probably the reason why maybe people don't like to share things because they think, oh, what if I make a mistake? But the truth is, you know, when you share it, your journey with other people, when you tell people what you do, you actually get so much more support than you ever thought you needed. I have met so many fantastic people over the last few months and last year and a half and without their support, I wouldn't be where I am today anyway. So the fact that I just went out there and told people what I was doing and started to share my journey has actually propelled me a lot further. So it doesn't make sense to build in secret. You should do it openly Mm. and get people's advice. Yeah,
0: definitely. And were there any challenges, you know, also in this first year and a half I think since you started Cliderly that you think I could have done something differently or I would do it differently now and also maybe as a takeaway for other founders to see mistakes that can be avoided
1: I think it's very difficult to and and this will always happen is to stay focused and to keep thinking ahead and, and kind of seeing the bigger picture and so it's very hard anyway as a founder to stop and think and you just kind of keep going and going and going and then You need to sometimes just get away completely or have a few days off to switch off and see the bigger picture for you to realize some things that might be really obvious to you. That's, I think, probably one of the most important things, actually taking time away from your company, (laughs) which is very difficult to do, is actually probably one of the most important things to do. And I do regret not taking enough breaks. I think in the first year or so, I started to force myself a bit more to do that because actually i think coming back refreshed with a different you know with the bigger picture makes you work better
0: Mm -hmm. that makes sense as an as a next point we already touched a bit on berlin with the accelerators you went through so i would be very curious to hear your experience regarding berlin as a startup location and to start a company there what do you like about berlin and what do you think are some of the resources or some of the you know, places in Berlin that are great for the startup community and to start a company there.
1: Oh, I think Berlin is absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad that I started my company here. Now, looking back, I could never envisage doing it in London, which is actually where I grew up. I think Berlin has so much to offer. It's a great city to live in because it's not too expensive. So when you're bootstrapped as a startup, you need to make sure you're in a place where you can afford to be bootstrapped. Also, there's just so much opportunity. There's lots of stuff going on. There's something new happening every single day, new events within the startup scene, within the, you know, startup network. There's always something happening and you can get involved. And accelerator programs wise, there's so many. And every day I feel like something new pops up, which I could have probably applied for, but that's too late. So there's lots of opportunities and people are very willing and open to help. I've met so many new people who happen to then know someone else who know someone else. And people have always been really willing to just share that information with me, which I really appreciate because I didn't find that in in London. So I don't know if that's maybe just I was in a different stage or a different part, but it's a great place to start a company.
0: Yeah, like Berlin has a good reputation to be a startup hotspot in Europe, so Definitely yeah. check it out if you think about starting a company. And I think the price or the cost of living there is definitely a good point.
1: Yeah, probably one of the main factors <laughs> for why it's easiest to start a company. Here. <laughs>
0: and you also have quite a few VCs and investors in Berlin. So that also helps. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Great place for that mm-hmm.
0: too. We also talked a bit about that you're involved with several initiatives as well to help um, minorities to become more involved as an entrepreneur or to encourage them to start companies could you talk a bit about that and some of the initiatives you work with Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so one thing that I've been I've been part of so many programs Google for female founder program I did the European social innovation competition I've done now the Lafayette plug-and-play accelerator so I've done a lot of different programs And the one thing I found, or a friend of mine and I found is there's great support for women uh, to start companies now, but we found a bit of a lack of support in women of color in particular. So women from black and minority ethnic backgrounds, and both of us being from these backgrounds could probably count on our hands. How many founders we knew from similar backgrounds as us who had started the company, to be honest, I only know maybe two, which is really sad considering, you know, it's such a large community not only in Berlin, but also in London. So we thought not, there needs to be something about, like, that we can do about this, you know, maybe from a mentoring perspective or maybe from a connection network perspective. So I have been doing mentoring on the side for different um, startup founders or people looking to start companies. But besides that, my friend Deborah and I, who's a founder of a company called Horticure here in Berlin, we are now working with an organization in Berlin called Silicon Alley, uh, who run Berlin Founders Fund. Really as a way to encourage other people to start their own company, either, either they've already started and we're going to help them with connection to VCs and angels who are also looking to invest in diverse founders, but also besides that, actually helping them with, you know, some things that might be really obvious to me now as a founder, but maybe not to someone who hasn't started a company So really obvious advice, like what's a convertible note agreement, what's a cap table, how might that be set up, how future rounds look like. The thing that I found difficult in raising investment initially was that everyone says you need to have a warm introduction to VCs or angels. And, you know, having a warm introduction basically means you need someone to introduce you. And I have been lucky enough that I have met a lot of people through attending a lot of events who've just been very open to introducing me to other people who might be interested in investing. But that might not be the case for everyone. And that's something we wanted to do with this program is really give everyone that support to getting that first chat with a VC or an angel, because it's this first round that's probably one of the hardest. You know, They always say, oh, you can just raise um, a family and friends round, but it really depends on what kind of family or friends you have. If you're not from a really, really wealthy background, most likely your friends and family don't have hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of euros stashed away to just fund you when you when you have an idea so this is the bridge we're trying to overcome
0: awesome yeah that's a really important mission that you have of course you support so i really like that and as you said it's It is often really hard to get the first funding, especially, I mean, for for most people, a family and friends round is just not that realistic because people just don't have the money lying around to invest in you. So I'm very cool that you help minorities to become startup founders and also raise money. And with having said that... I really like what you're doing with, with Clyderly and to make, you know, use of textiles and to waste to create a sustainable plastic. So wishing you lots of success there and also with your upcoming you. fundraising round. Before we close, I would like to jump in the rapid fire mm-hmm. questions. So starting with the first one, what is a book that you read that had a very big uh, personal impact on your life and that you would recommend people to read?
1: This is probably a really typical one and probably kind of boring, uh, but the Lean Startup. Most most people probably read it already if you're looking to start a startup. But for me, it was really eye-opening and quite obvious. That it needs to be as lean as possible to begin with. So that definitely changed my thinking around starting a company mm-hmm. pretty early on.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a good book. I think it's written by Eric Reese, I remember right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you think about your career so far and and your life, what would you say was the best personal investments that you made so far not necessarily in money but also in time or energy that you spent
1: I think it was um, actually starting my own company (laughs) because it is time and energy and money probably the best investment I made in myself because it's great learnings for me and no matter what happens I have learned so much about founding a company and how it needs to be found and what's a good startup and what isn't and, you know, how, how a scalable business works. This was my best investment in
0: myself. Is there any product that you like to use that you use on a daily basis for the startup, like some kind of software tool that you would recommend to other founders or some, some type of collaboration tool, etc.?
1: Yeah, it's funny, actually. So this is a very new one that I started using, it's Asana. And I used to use Trello before to set my tasks, but the more tasks I had and they, you know, they're very long lists, the harder it was to manage. So what I really like about Asana is you can set yourself a due date. And so then it just prioritizes your task in terms of when you need to do them by. And then it was very easy to then when I have a team switch and add them to different tasks and, and make people responsible for them by giving them due dates so it's a great tool to use you can add files to it it sets you send you reminders so it helps me to be really organized and also to just kind of take a lot of the noise out of my head and I know it's in a tool and I will get to it when it needs to be done
0: mm-hmm. awesome and also note here I will post and link to all of these tools and also the resources you mentioned before in the show notes so people can <laughs> check it out and have a look themselves <laughs> yeah then I was also curious if you could give your younger self one piece of advice what would you tell yourself maybe like 10 years ago
1: well that's a funny one <laughs> I think I would tell myself to believe in myself I, I think most teenagers well I wasn't a teenager 10 years ago but I, str- I struggled with the uh, lack of confidence I really didn't believe in myself enough, and this was probably the biggest thing I had to overcome when you start your own company. You have to believe in yourself mm-hmm. um, because how can you sell yourself and your company if you don't even believe in it? so I would tell my younger self, just keep going, keep working hard and believe in yourself you'll get there
0: mm-hmm. spontaneous follow-up question but is there any anything you know that comes to mind how to build up that self belief or like things you can do to help you that you build up their confidence as well?
1: Really keep pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And it feels horrible. It really does. You you know, you really have to push yourself to do it. But the more things you do that you don't feel comfortable with, that nervous feeling is a good feeling. And you should have that often because if you don't have it, that means you're comfortable. And if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Uh, So keep doing new things and, whenever I was comfortable in a job I realized I needed to leave because it meant that I wasn't learning anything or wasn't doing anything new or exciting and uh, so I, I changed a lot because I just kept wanting the next thing that it would help me to learn and grow that's very important especially in your young years because you have the ability to be able to learn and soak so much information in so yeah definitely keep doing things that push you out of this comfort zone and it could even be something completely unrelated to your career like I don't know learning how to I don't know going paragliding or something ridiculous completely different it's just the fact that you're pushing yourself to do something you don't feel comfortable with I think that's very important.
0: Yeah, yeah, I fully agree with that and the feeling of being uncomfortable is definitely it's, it's not nice but you will thank yourself later if you push yourself into situations exactly. like that. Awesome. Last question related to the name of the podcast. So as you know, I'm, I'm interviewing people that you know, try to do their own thing, that you know, take the leap and do something aside of the typical career track. So related to that, what does courage mean to you personally?
1: Courage means going, going ahead and doing something, even if you don't feel 100% confident at the time, but <laughs> <laughs> just going for it anyway, <laughs> which is the way what I did with Clidely to begin with. But you build up the courage over time. You just have to uh, force yourself to take that first leap.
0: Well, Alina, I really appreciate your time today and finding out more about what you're building. And before we close, is there anything you want to share or where can people find more about you and about Clyderly online?
1: Yeah, so we have all social channels there are, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. On some, I think we're mostly called Clyderly Berlin on all of our social channels and our website is just gladly.com so yeah definitely sign up to our newsletter if you're interested in keeping up to date with what we're up to
0: very cool and as i mentioned before you can find all of that in the show notes as well of this podcast thank you so much again alina and wishing you lots of success with gladly
1: thank you thank you so much
0: hey before you go i just want to ask you for a very small favor if you get any value out of this podcast please quickly head over to the apple podcast store or wherever you are listening to this and give the leap takers podcast a positive rating it just takes 10 seconds this would really help me to get more visible and i'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show if you want to do even more you can now easily donate something to support with the costs of this podcast just go to leaptakers.com and you see a coffee mock at the bottom of the page if you click on it you can donate a small amount as much as you want like buying me a coffee which helps me to cover the costs of this podcast like hosting, editing tools, etc. Thank you so much. As always, if you have any feedback or want to get in touch, just shoot me a message. You can find all my contact info as well as all social channels on leaptakers.com. Thanks again for listening and until next time. Bye-bye.